0: Welcome back to another episode of Voice of the Generation. I am Imani Christine and joined with me today I have
1: Maida Berrios. Hi everyone. Hey Maida. Hey. So tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so I am a recent graduate of Delaware State University. I just graduated with my master's this year in social work, and last year uh, I graduated with my bachelor's in social work. And now I'm pursuing uh, full-time advocacy work. I've been a national intern for a while. I've done work on the state level, on the local level, and now hoping to pursue national and international work. Wow, super dope. You're super dope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm not mistaken, only 1% of foster youth graduate. Um, or go to college? Graduate college. Graduate More college. More go,
1: but only 1% graduate. So, yeah, you're right. Got you. Why did you decide to go to college? I, I think for me there was a, a bunch of reasons. Of course, the obvious one, which is just to pursue higher education, and that's kind of like the route that everyone thinks you should be going down is, oh, graduate high school, oh, graduate college, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even though there's so many ways to be successful, that was kind of just what made sense for me at the time. I know back when i was in high school my biggest thought coming from foster care was oh well where am i going to stay for the next four years once i graduated high school and so luckily at the time delaware state university was the only school in the state to have um, a program that allowed former foster youth to stay basically have all-year housing right so typically when youth are leaving for christmas break spring break all those different breaks um we wouldn't have nowhere to go and so that was the only school at the time that had that program and i was like well at least I'll have stable housing for the next four years. That was kind of my thought process. Unfortunately, being that I was in foster care, that's how we had to think. Wow. So did you actually come to school to get your education or did you come <laughs> to school for security? A mix of both. Um, I knew that... Having a college degree would be the stepping stone for the next thing. Did I think that I would pursue something within my field? I didn't know. I was actually an education major at one point and thought I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> but that's <laughs> not the case no more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I switched to social work. And although I've been using it, like my degree, I don't think I'll be per- using it full time. So it was kind of one of those things where I did it in the moment because I needed housing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also one of those things in the moment where I was like, well, it could be my backup in case something else doesn't work out. hmm so when you were when you made the decision to go back
0: or go to school further your education how did you like you said it was the most secure um decision for you but school costs a lot of money so how did you manage to pay for school have stable housing eat
1: sleep did you work (laughs) um that was difficult honestly uh so during my senior year of high school i was fortunate Fortunate enough to have a guidance counselor that really knew all these things, right, of the importance of having money to when you go to college, scholarships, financial aid, things of that sort, because I didn't have any idea. All I knew is I needed somewhere to stay for the next four years, or at least until I can get my feet on the ground and you know get my own place and stuff like that and so at the time she between her and my independent living worker which is somebody that gets assigned to you when you're going through the foster care system their main job was to help me essentially learn how to be independent and part of that was scholarships and so I worked day in and day out I woke up 8am I was writing scholarship essays day after day after day my entire senior year I didn't really get to enjoy senior year because my mind was like I need scholarships I didn't want to go in debt over 100k. I knew that much. I knew that going to college, you would end up in debt. Pretty much everyone is in debt at this point. And so that was one of the things where my my guidance counselor was like, yeah, no, Maida, you're, you're not going to graduate college with all this debt. And so because of that, I was able to get so many scholarships. I even got one on a national level that was worth like $10,000 and a bunch of others that allowed me to pretty much graduate debt-free with my master's and my bachelor's. Wow. So. That's yeah. amazing, and that sustained you all four years. It did all four years, and right again, right through my master's degree, it paid for that too. So of course, I still had to work and pretty much fend for myself when it came to like eating and getting clothes and you know the regular things that you do while they're in college. I still had to do all that. So um, the good thing was I didn't have to worry about where am I going to pay for college once I graduate. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you spent
0: what should have been like your childhood on surviving. Was there a part of you that was broken?
1: Yeah, I I definitely felt that a lot, especially I I just had this conversation the other day, but especially during college, I always say that I didn't get to fully enjoy my college experience Mm -hmm. somewhat in high school, too, because around the age 15, I was just leaving, I think, freshman year at the time was when I came into foster care. And so pretty much I've been just trying to survive the last eight, 10 years or so, pretty much all of high school and all of college. And so I didn't get to really enjoy it the way I would have wanted to. I I did get involved, but it wasn't to the extent that I again would have wanted to. Um, I had to pretty much work full time, you know, 40 hours a week, whatever that looked like. I had to make sure that my academics were on point because I knew that at the end of the day that I I was here for my degree and I had to get that degree in order to elevate myself, to be able to live on my own and to be able to advance in my career. You you said you were 15 when you were in the foster care system? Yeah, so I actually came in at 15. I was considered by the state a runaway at the time um, because I ran away from my mom's house. At that age, I went to my best friend's house, and it was one of those things where I was mature enough to kind of know what was going on in my home life, um, but also still young enough to not know what was about to happen. And so I didn't know what foster care was. All I knew was somewhere had to be better than where I was at, which was my mom's house. Mm-hmm. Why did you run away? So it it really came down to I felt extremely isolated at my mom's house. I was kind of the middleman left out of a lot of things. I didn't get the same love, the same treatment, the same support that my siblings got. So I actually was the only one in foster care out of, what is it, five of us? I just had a baby sister. So at the time there was four of us and I was the only one that came into care. I was the only one that was being investigated by the state of Delaware. And I was the only one that was very vocal about what we were going through. A lot of the stuff we went through, generational. My mom went through it, my older sister went through it, my grandma went through it. And it was just a repeated cycle that I was like, why am I, why is this okay? This is not okay, there's no reason why my family should be putting me down like this. There's no reason why I don't feel loved, supported, the whole nine by my family. And I knew, I knew something, something was wrong and so I at first I thought it was me and I was like well if I'm the only one that's not loved and supported here maybe I'll just remove myself from the situation and that's pretty much what I did that was pretty much the reason and why I decided to run away because I was just like well clearly y'all don't want me here so why am I why am I still here you know six mm-hmm. percent of all American children
0: in the u.s. will find themselves in the foster care system mm-hmm. before they turn 18 you were you're part of that six percent. Yeah. what yep. grade were you in when you ran away
1: so I think if I remember right, it was the end of my freshman year of high school. I was going to a Votech uh, school in Middletown and I had just finished, or I was finishing up, I wanna say it was around March of my freshman year when I came into the system. And I pretty much stayed all throughout high school. I aged out, which is what we know in the foster care system as turning 18. And mm-hmm. to the state, we're looked at as adults. But in reality, we all know at 18, we're still, we're still babies. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you mentioned that you're an advocate, so it sounds like your advocacy started once you got into the system.
1: Pretty much, yeah. I I'll say it started around when I was 16. So about a year later was when I got involved. And again, like I said earlier, I didn't know nothing about the foster care system. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know existed. Didn't know what a social worker was. I didn't know nothing about the field whatsoever. I just knew that me running away was gonna it was gonna help in some way, shape, or form. At least that's what I thought, at, as a 15 year old. And so I got involved in advocacy. Just at the shy age of 16, my um, family court judge, again, that's something, something that we get when we're in foster care, Um, she was the one that introduced me to it and was like, Maida, like, you should run for these positions. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't do leadership. Like, that's just not my thing. I don't do public speaking. I don't do none of that. So why would I sit here and run for a position? And and to give you context about that position, we have what's called the Youth Advisory Council in the state of Delaware, which is a advocacy group that meets monthly for foster youth. It's only for foster youth. And so I was going to them. They had introduced me to it. And from there, she was like, yeah, Maida, just run for president. And I was like, um maybe maybe not <laughs> did it and then next thing we know here i am five six years later doing the doing the work doing the advocacy work getting involved in leadership roles and things of that sort so why didn't you want to be a leader what i think were you scared of I don't even know, honestly. I think just at the time, like, just being young and not knowing what I was signing myself up for, because she didn't tell me nothing. She just said, might have run. And I was like, well, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what a president does, especially president of a statewide, I ad, ad, whoa, advocacy group. Like, that's, that's huge, you know what I mean? And so I just did it because I trusted her. Mm-hmm. Um, I trusted that she was part of my support team ever since I came into CARE. So I think at the point... When this happened, I had already known her for a little over a year, and she naturally became a part of my support team. And from there, I was just like, I got to trust somebody. (laughs) So I trusted her, and then next thing we know, I I ran, I won, and that's when we started working on HB123, which is uh, also known as House Bill 123, Mm -hmm. which is a college tuition waiver that allows youth that age out of foster care to go to college tuition-free in the state of Delaware. So that was huge for our state. Mm -hmm. And you worked on that with her. I did. That was something we started when I was president. We started advocating for it. And it all came about because my vice president at the time um, was basically saying how he had to make that hard decision of determining which college to go to. Mm-hmm. And although we know that is the common question that most high school graduates are going through, mm-hmm. is like, what college am I going to? For him, it was one of those that one college offered housing, but the other college offered him um. The major that he wanted and it was a great program and so we were sitting there and we're like, well, why does he have to choose this college because they give him housing, but the other college has nothing for him. And so it was one of those things where it was like, that's not even fair. Like, he's not choosing based off the school or based off, like, the social life and things of that sort. He was choosing based off housing or no housing. Mm -hmm. That was a problem for us. And so from there, we initiated that work. We started meeting with representatives. We started meeting with the state legislators. And then three, four, I think it was three or four years later, it finally got signed into law. So it was a long process. But we finally did it. And now more youth are able to kind of pursue higher education and not feel set back by college
0: i'm assuming that was part of your healing journey well what was going through your head in the midst of all this right you're 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 literally surviving yeah you're trying to figure it out you have to trust somebody yeah your trust probably wasn't all the way there at that point what's going through your head when somebody's giving you these big opportunities
1: i think there was a lot going on through my head honestly um Kind of like I said earlier, I think just I I had to trust somebody. So in my head, I'm like, well, if there's no one else that I can really rely on, I don't have mom. I don't have dad because my dad passed away before I came into foster care. I don't have that side of the family. I didn't know anyone in my family at that, too. So I really had no one one but her to trust. And it was one of those Mm -hmm. things where I was like either I'm going to do this alone or I'm gonna at least do it with somebody behind me. And at least if it doesn't work out, she'll be there to guide me every step of the way. So like I said, there's a lot of things going on through my mind. Um, I knew I had to figure out how to get myself to the next level. And by next level, I mean, okay, I go to college, I have housing for four years, but what's next after that? And so everything I did during college and during high school had to set me up for post-college and that's pretty much what I tried focusing on I was just like if I can't do nothing else in this world I can at least try to be successful Mm -hmm. break those generational patterns that my family has my family didn't graduate college they didn't do a lot of the things that I'm doing and so for me I just wanted to I just want to be different and of course that was hard coming from foster care just I was already different and so I just try to use that to my advantage and again just break those generational curses that I knew my family had you said you were already different What what does that mean to you destined for something. What that something was, I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as I got more involved with leadership, I knew I was destined to be to be the voice for other people, to be the voice for other youth that are going through the same things that I'm going through or went through the same things that I went through. I knew I had to find a way to help each other, to help everyone else out, right? Because I had people helping me out and I was like, well, there's so many more of us behind me that are gonna be going through the same thing that are gonna be removed from their home or they're gonna run away. And so, if I could just be that voice and that saving grace for one person, I I, I learned early on that that was kind of my mission in life was to just help the next person. Are you saving or are you disrupting?
0: Like, are you saving somebody or are you disrupting the system that doesn't honor them whole?
1: That's that's a good question. I feel like I feel like it's both in a way, um, disrupting in the sense that. I'm pretty much challenging the system um, because I don't think we would have ever created legislation that allowed foster youth to go to college tuition free unless it was for that conversation that we had. Mm -hmm. But then saving at the same time, because at the end of the day, like we are all going through hard times and a bill isn't going to get us out of those hard times. So like somebody has to be there for these people, somebody has to be there guiding the way. And so I think, I think it's a mix of both of just trying to save the next person, but also disrupting what we all know as the foster care system and changing that narrative
0: how is that bill holding people accountable in the state of delaware because like i just found out about house bill 123 Mm -hmm. right and so how do more like is it only exclusively to foster youth like is that something that that's being promoted so that they know that they have these opportunities and access or is it just like if you know you know or if you don't really follow up or you if you don't get the right support you'll never
1: know at the moment when it got signed I can be honest and say it was if you know you know Mm -hmm. and that was that was hard because I'm like why are we not telling youth about this why are we not encouraging higher education and the reason that they always told me um was oh not all youth are ready and capable of going through college because we all know college is hard right like why why should somebody make that choice for somebody else And that's what I'm disrupting because I personally don't agree with it and a lot of my fellow peers that are also advocates in the state of Delaware as well as national do the same thing and we're trying to figure out why is it that we're limiting our youth because the potential is there. Right. The, the capabilities is there if we are setting them up, if we're providing them that support. But the problem is, once they quote unquote age out at 18, the, the state kind of just says, yeah, we're going to forget you. We're going to move on to the next person that is under 18 who's in the system, and they get forgotten about. So then, of course, while they're in college, naturally, what are they going to do? They're going to fail. Mm-hmm. But if we're putting systems in place, if we're putting support in place beyond 18 throughout college, I don't understand why we can't set them up for success. Other than the support that you
0: built on your own time,
1: who in the system supported you? In the system, what I can say is I did have a good support system. And I think I credit a lot of that to my foster parents, my social workers. Um, I think my biggest narrative is that I had a great experience in the foster care system, thank Mm -hmm. God. And I always say, well, if I had a good experience, if I had social workers that cared about me, if I had foster parents that cared about me, why is that not the same energy for all these other youth? Mm-hmm. Why is it that the state is picking and choosing who gets more energy, who gets more opportunities, who gets this, who gets that, when it shouldn't be that? It should be everyone's getting the same thing. right? And, and not the same thing, but what they need, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, I try to just share my story and hope that like other foster parents, other social workers can see like when we supported Maida and we gave her everything she needed, she prospered. If we do that for the next youth, they're going to do the same thing. Right. And so that's, I think, part of my mission, part of me sharing my story is that hopefully in the long run, we can get social workers and all those people that are involved in foster care to realize when you pour into it, they're going to take that and run with it and hopefully be successful just as much. So I have a, a challenge for you or a question
0: for you, like a pick your brain moment i love that you're sharing your story what are you doing right now to ensure that you know there's actual data to support what you're doing because you know when it boils down to it a lot of people have stories and people mm-hmm. listen to their stories but action isn't often taken so how are you making sure that there's
1: action behind your words absolutely i think i'm really big on holding people accountable and that comes down to the this- to the state just as much. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of uh, national work, and so by national work, I've traveled to conferences in other states where we're pretty much networking with other youth that are doing the same work to see what other states are doing, because I think that's the biggest loophole in this work is that every state is different every Mm -hmm. single state's foster care is run differently Mm -hmm. um some states have hb123 it might be named something else but some states have it and some don't and so it's like well if delaware has it why doesn't utah have it why doesn't california have it all these other states etc etc right Mm -hmm. and so for me i try to find ways to network with people outside of my state to see what other states are doing and so that i could bring that work back to my state so if i'm hearing and seeing that um, Utah has a successful foster care program. I want to see how I can bring that to my state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be in programs, that could be events, that could be in opportunities, that could be resources. Um, th- the list goes on of different things that we could bring back to my state. So I mm-hmm. I do my part on a local level, make sure I'm reaching out to our legislators, to our representatives. I'll actually, actually be meeting with them this week to work on HB 123 and how we can improve it. Because right now, it only allows for undergrad to be paid for and i don't think it should be stopped there i think it should continue to grad school because fortunately for me i was able to pull other scholarships to pay for grad school Mm -hmm. i didn't get to um use hb123 because when it got passed i was a graduating senior in college and again it doesn't allow for youth to be uh paid for for graduate school and so Mm -hmm. my goal is to be able to work on hb123 so that it can go through grad school and not stop youth at the undergraduate level so that's how i've pretty much been taking action is just holding our legislators our representatives accountable constantly reaching out constantly doing appearances in the state going to different meetings being a part of different work groups and ensuring that everyone is doing their part you move with such grace absolutely um
0: you created a workshop called team up dream up
1: Yes, I did. What is that? <laughs> so um, back in 2020, I actually served as an intern for, again, a national organization. What was um, the organization's name? It was called Foster Club. They are the the leading national network for youth in care. So anyone that's been in care, if you're listening to this, definitely reach out. Look up uh, fosterclub.com. Tons of resources, tons of opportunities, networking, events, internships, and so, during the summer of 2020, when we were uh, in the midst of COVID, I served as an intern in that organization for about seven weeks, roughly. And within those seven weeks, we did an intense training, we did conferences, we did a little bit of everything. We did policy work, and one of the projects that I was a part of was a SPARK curriculum, and essentially what that means is building curriculum for youth in foster care. And so in the moment i was trying to figure out okay well i have an opportunity to make a workshop that can reach hundreds of people right Mm -hmm. what do i want to focus on and we kind of touched on on a little bit earlier where i keep saying i have a a strong foundation a strong support system of people that i can turn to people that i can call people that are crying shoulder when i need them Mm -hmm. and so i was like how can i turn that experience into a workshop right and so i sat down and I used my my brain and I came up. <laughs> <laughs> Creative juices started coming. It took a while. It took like, uh-huh. you know, maybe a couple of weeks. But eventually I realized I was like, you know, there's got to be a way that people can build their team just like I did. Right. Especially when we're 18 and aging out of care. We don't realize how important that team is until we're all alone and we're like, dang, there's nobody to call. Yeah. And so I sat there and I made the workshop. I, I started with the very basics, which was just understanding that. You can't do it alone, and even when we think we can, there's a bunch of things we just can't do alone. And so that's where Team Up, Dream Up, pretty much was birthed, and then from there, I went on to present it at my first national conference, actually two weeks ago, Mm -hmm. in Denver, Colorado, and it was a huge hit, everyone loved it. I got great feedback, and it just really gave, the workshop gives youth an opportunity to sit down and really think, who's on my team, and who do I need on my team in the next four to five years? Who can I truly count on, and not just say, oh, yeah, so-and-so is on my team, but you can never reach out to them. So it was a great opportunity for you to really develop that team. Wow. Well, how do you know, like, you can trust somebody? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it really just comes down to – if, if you can rely on them and that can that can look different for a lot of people for me relying can just be if I call them and they're able to take a phone call and talk to me for five minutes relying could be I need groceries and that person can go get groceries for me relying can be I needed a ride somewhere because my car wasn't working and I can call this person to help me out I think really just it comes down to re- the reliability and the action part of when you need support and help mm-hmm. and it doesn't even have to be action again it could be a phone conversation just knowing kind of the idea of that if i reach out to this person at some point they're gonna respond to me and they're gonna help me out even if it's not as quick as we want it to be because i think that's hard too is sometimes we want people to respond right then and there Mm -hmm. and it may take a little while but that doesn't mean they're not a part of your system
0: yeah well i feel like sometimes adults like i've had adult relationships where it feels like like they start off super consistent Mm -hmm. and that consistency just dies down and at a point you don't want to bother them so like or at least you, it feels like you're bothering them. Mm-hmm. So, like, what would you say to the person who, like, has an adult where they feel like, I, I've i put my trust into you, but I don't always see your consistency reflected in our relationship?
1: I was just talking about this in our workshop because that that's a huge thing, especially for us foster. If we see social workers, foster parents, um, and things of that sort come and go. Mm-hmm. And so we already don't have that consistency from people that are supposed to be supporting us. Yeah. And so I think it just comes down to... Opening and reflecting on yourself and that it is a two-way street at the same time, right? If you want somebody to be a part of your your support system, but you never told that person like, hey, I look to you for support. I hope that you're willing and able to provide it or hey, I want you to be a part part of my support system. Is that something you can do and be Mm -hmm. when I need it? A lot of times we naturally assume certain people are... You know like a part of our system yeah. or not of our system our support mm-hmm. but in reality it's like you have to make that known too right I can't just assume because you're my friend that you're going to be there when I need a ride to the store mm-hmm. or just because you're my mentor you're always going to be there when I need something unless I make that known yeah. so having that open communication like hey this is how I could benefit from you and this is how I could benefit you it's a two-way street we have to make sure we're holding each other accountable regardless of that age difference mm-hmm. Mm, That's that's important. I never thought about it like that. You have
0: to make it known to people. Like, absolutely. Sometimes I assume.
1: Yeah, and I think that's our biggest thing with this generation is we assume because you're my mom, you gotta do this for me. Because you're (laughs) my friend. Because you're the well, no, you know. Sometimes that's not the case. Like, just because my mom's my mom doesn't mean I have to rely on her for things. Like family is blood and not blood you know Mm -hmm. you you pick and choose the people that you want in your corner it doesn't always have to be blood Mm -hmm. so nedra
0: um oh my god i don't want to mess up her name so i'm not going to say it but the author of set boundaries find peace yes has a book called um oh my god i can't think of it right now lord (laughs) well she has a second book out y'all should check it out this is not sponsored
1: (laughs) (laughs) but she talks about like chosen family like You get to choose your family. You do. So you get to choose everyone that you (laughs) let in and out of your life. Like that. And it's a huge responsibility that we don't realize. We kinda Mm -hmm. think that whoever's there is there. And it's like, well no, I could I could choose who's in my life. I could choose who I want to speak to daily. I could choose I could choose all these things. You have the the flexibility and the freedom to do Mm -hmm. that. That's what's pretty cool about us younger people is that, you know, we can do whatever we set our mind to. Yeah. You're young with the choice. Absolutely. That comes with punishment. It does.
0: <laughs> so uh what was your experience like regarding what foster exactly? care? Like you had a lot of choices to make at yeah. a really young yeah. age. Like and, and we know that, you know, people who are in under resourced communities or don't have the same socioeconomic status to mm-hmm. support the type of living that the American dream says they should have. Mm-hmm. Um, they often are punished more harshly. So like how do you?
1: Were you punished more? So, no. Um, I was when described in the foster care system. I fortunately was was described as one that's pretty much. I would. I was just trying to figure out how to be successful. So whether that that was going to work, going to school, I was out of the way. I wasn't getting involved in a lot of things, and that kind of made my experience. I'm sure very different from a lot of people because I was pretty much. Just like the quiet kid,
0: yeah.
1: Um, but I do know that something that is a huge uh, barrier in the foster care system is the punishment and what happens when we're youth and we're we're trying different things, you know, trials and tribulations, right? And so a lot of the youth in care, we're we're regular youth, right? We're just experiencing something different than our peers. And yeah. so a lot of times, what I've noticed and what I've learned over my time as being an advocate is youth are being punished for things that their peers are doing. Mm -hmm. And all we want to do with the label of foster care is fit in. We want to fit in with our peers. We want to look like we're doing what our peers are doing. We want to go out to the Saturday night event at main event. We want to go bowling with them on Saturday. We want to do the sleepovers, whatever that looks like for youth in this generation. And a lot of times when youth are caught or found doing something that other youth are doing, the punishments are are on the state level. And when I, I when I mean what I mean by state level is charges kicked out of homes. They're getting labeled as this bad kid. They're getting labeled as this, this, that, and the third. In reality, we got to look at it from the perspective that, yeah, that youth might have done something wrong, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we should be charging them. Charging them. It doesn't mean we should be punishing them on a level that isn't the same as their peers, mm-hmm. right? Because they're just trying to do what their everyone shooter. else is doing. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know any better, Yeah, especially when we have the younger ones, you know, 14, 15, like youth come in as early as five, four, like the, the age is very young for youth to come into care. And so they're just trying to do what they see everyone else doing. And then I think it should be more of a lesson, not a life sentence, because it just doesn't make sense why youth are being set up in ways that when they leave foster care, they have a charge because they took their foster parents' mom or they foster parents car at night time but they friend took their mom's car and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. There's no charges for that.
0: Yeah. So, crazy. Yeah. What does it mean to have a voice in this generation? And you can't say <laughs> there are tons of voices, there's social media, we heard that. Yeah. We want a organic perspective, yeah. an unfiltered perspective, one that isn't amplified often
1: for me i think it's just realizing that there's there's many more youth that are gonna face the same things i faced Mm -hmm. but not have a voice at all or not feel the strength to have a voice and they're just gonna go through what they go through and act like it never existed they're Mm -hmm. never gonna talk about it they're never gonna say they went through foster care which is okay, because some people, you know, that that comes down to privacy. But I think Mm -hmm. just realizing that regardless of our adversity and our experiences, that we can still have a voice, we can still be the change makers in society, we can still be people that go on to, you know, run for president, run for legislation and things Mm -hmm. of that sort. Um, Or just do whatever, whatever aspirations they have. Yeah, you know, even if, life was quiet for them while they were in foster care because a lot of times when we're in foster care for most people that's the moment when we don't have a voice and so if i can use my voice to get other people to use their voice while they're in care Mm
0: -hmm.
1: one day at a time we can hopefully just change the narrative of foster care and really just build up our leaders Mm -hmm. even if they're in foster care Mm -hmm. wow that's
0: powerful um i want us to end with this was a super dope episode (laughs) But I really want us to end with like, what should people do next? Like this is this is great. Mm-hmm. Like they understand your pain, they understand how you went from triumph to success.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, how do I support a student like Mida?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do I support the foster care system? Yeah. Besides doing the typical donation drive, clothes right. drive, like how do I
1: really get my hands into this work? Definitely getting involved in the community. There's so many different organizations that support the work and that, that support youth. Um, so even if it's not like you said through donations, which is sometimes not always gets to us, depending on what organization you're donating to, get directly involved with youth. Find a way that you can be part of their support system, even if it is just they needed a phone call to talk to somebody, find ways to get involved with them like that, be a mentor to them. Um host different events for them because a lot of times like like i said we can't go bowling on friday night with our friends because it's a whole system in place that prevents us from doing that so set Mm -hmm. up some kind of event some kind of organization in the community where they can just come and kind of let loose have a good time um find ways to support them while they're in college like i said that could just be being a phone call away from them oh being a phone call away for them there we go Mm -hmm. um and just there's just so many things. Get involved with advocacy work in terms of legislation. There's you know representatives, legislators that you can call on and act ask them to enact on different things that are uh, currently in, in what's it called in the office right now trying to get passed. Um, there's yeah there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm an open book and I'm willing to talk to those that are interested in getting involved with youth. I'm willing to share what we can do together to kind of just change that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, become a foster parent. That's a huge, a huge gap right now is we don't have enough foster homes for youth to go to become a CASA that is a uh, court appointed special advocate and that person's role is pretty much to be everything I just said a supportive person for youth and care. Um, Almost every youth has a CASA in the state of Delaware but we are short on CASAs at the moment so if you want to get super involved with um, a youth become a CASA you can look it up do the training and get involved like that as well.
0: Well, thank you so much, girl. I (laughs) learned so much from you. Of course. (laughs) This is great. I'll make sure that I put all of your information in the description. So anybody who wants to get involved, please make sure that you, you know, read the description. We want to make sure that you guys are getting involved. Remember that we need you to rate this episode. That's the only (laughs) way we're going to make it to the top. So please, if you like this, please rate it. Leave a review. We're reading feedback. Um, and don't forget, join us every single Tuesday for an episode of Voice of Generation. Thank you for joining us today. We love you and have an awesome week on purpose. Bye, guys.